Hello, everybody. Welcome to Borderline and Back, Hope, Management, and Resiliency for Borderline Personality Disorder. It's your host, Maggie, and we are here for DBT episode number eight. Before we get into it, this is just your reminder. I'm not a doctor, psychiatrist, psychologist, counselor, psychotherapist, anything like that. I'm just here sharing my journey of management of my borderline personality disorder, as well as my ADHD, hoping to provide some tips that work for me, for you, the listener out there, and hoping to be able to provide a little insight if you found this podcast because you're looking to try and understand um, some of the experiences that your loved ones, loved one, friend might be going through if they have recently been diagnosed as well. So like I said, we're here, or I'm here, in week eight of my group DBT therapy that I'm going through, and that is a six-month-long program. So eight weeks is two months in, so I'm a third of the way through, and this kind of felt like a good time to do a check-in. So far, it's been good. I've been enjoying group, I'm not going to lie, but I have been struggling with feeling like I'm taking up a space that another person could be using because all of the skills that we've been having so far, not having, all of the skills we've been learning and covering so far are skills that I'm really comfortable with and that I've been comfortable with for quite a while at this point. And I did share that with the facilitators of this program and asking should I step back because of this guilt that I was feeling? When I was initially referred to this program, it was back in April or May when I had just had a very uh, traumatizing experience. We'll, we'll leave it there. I was probably at the lowest I'd been. And I went through an intake process. And at that time, they said that I fit the criteria, criteria for the full-blown DBT program. But I've come a long way since May. I honestly don't feel like the same person. If I were to look at myself back in April or May, I wouldn't recognize myself. I would tell you that that's a completely different person. And I'm actually really proud of that, to be honest. But in talking to the facilitators and sharing this and saying that the one thing that I know that I really need help with is interpersonal work, and interpersonal effectiveness, but that's the last module that maybe I should just try and do that myself. The facilitator said, yeah, you're very comfortable with these skills, but the thing that is very helpful in group is that everyone's at different places in their management and their resiliency skills that we're learning. And for people that haven't had a lot of exposure or haven't been working on things themselves, it's always helpful to have someone in the group to provide reassurance and to tell people, like, I've been there, I've gotten through it, and you can too. And that really helped me to hear. It helped me so much to hear because it removed a lot of that guilt that I was feeling and instead made me feel like there is a purpose for me here. And I do deserve this spot because... I know how much I need that interpersonal effectiveness training, if you will, support even. So yeah, eight weeks in, I'm enjoying it. And I do think so far it's been a very good and helpful experience. 
if only for the connections and kind of community building that you get from it. In the program though, we don't really know each other's diagnoses unless we disclose them. All we really know is that everyone who's here has issues with emotional regulation. If you've been listening for a few of these DBT minisodes, you'll know that every week we start out with a mindfulness exercise. This week's was really cool. Instead of a traditional mindfulness exercise that they have us do where we kind of sit or lie down and close our eyes and work through mindfulness that way, it was something called a visual mindfulness exercise, which I loved because it wasn't necessarily mindfulness for me so much as it was about being present in a moment and appreciating what is around you and then slowly starting to focus more and more and expand your vision or expand your awareness around you. So just listening to myself explain that, that is mindfulness, I will say. I will take back my statement that it's not mindfulness. It's just almost like combining being visually present and appreciating the beauty of something and then mindfully working through the scene that you might be in. So I'm going to leave that mindfulness exercise down in the notes the way I have been for this whole little mini-sode series that I'm running. We did three skills this week. Um, they're interesting skills. They're ones that I really enjoy. So we did half smiling and willing hands as well as mindfulness of current thoughts. Half smiling is so weird to try and explain without showing anyone. So again, check out the notes below for a YouTube video to try and explain this. When I first started doing half smiling, um, for anyone who watches The Big Bang Theory, I felt like I was doing Sheldon's koala face. And I'm going to leave a link down below because it's actually really funny. It's so hard to not do a fake smile, especially because so many of us get used to doing that in social situations when we're uncomfortable. And half smiling is meant to kind of counteract that whole defense mechanism, if you will. So half smiling and willing hands are a distress tolerance skill that we're also using to be accepting of reality with our body. Half smiling, I'm gonna walk you through the steps here and this is how it was explained to the group. So first, you're gonna relax your face from the top of your head down to your chin and jaw. You're supposed to let go of each facial muscle, your forehead, your eyes and brows, cheeks, mouth and tongue with your teeth slightly apart. If you have difficulty, try tensing your facial muscles and letting them go. A tense smile is a grin and might tell your brain you are hiding or masking your feelings. Relaxing my jaw is honestly the most difficult part of any of these distress tolerances that I've been doing. I have to kind of unlock my jaw, kind of move it side to side and even like massage it with my hands because that's how much tension I carry in my jaw from just general anxiety that I walk around with. The second phase or step of half smiling is letting both corners of your lips go slightly up just so you can feel them. It's not necessary for others to see those little upturns of your lips. A half smile is slightly upturned lips with a relaxed face. And my pro tip here for you guys while you're working on half smiling is do it in front of the mirror or on your camera, film it. But anytime you're at home by yourself and you can look in a mirror, take a couple seconds and practice half smiling. It is way easier to do. 
and you realize how little you have to upturn your lips so that you don't look like, like I said, like Koala Face Sheldon or like the Grinch, if that makes any sense to anyone. And then the third phase of half smiling is try to adopt a serene facial expression. Remember that your face communicates to your brain and your body connects to your mind. Serene's just a really weird word, in my opinion, to try and explain what this facial expression is supposed to be. It's not a facial expression of extreme joy, of extreme like happiness or laughter, and at the same time, it's not extreme sadness or anger. It's almost just like a calm, just a neutral, calm face. And like I said, practice it in front of the mirror. That's what I do. That's what I continue to do and hope that when I'm out in public and I do this, that it doesn't come off in one of those other extreme ways that I mentioned. A little feedback on half smiling is that it is one of those skills that I find works very well at tricking your mind and making you come back to reality that what you're experiencing might not be as extreme as you're perceiving it to be. I also really enjoy using this skill when I'm feeling frustrated with, say, a coworker or out in public, like going to Costco on the holidays. Half smiling is great to work through those times of just being pent up, of being revved up, of being frustrated, of feeling like you might even have a bit of a, a tantrum or a meltdown. With half smiling and willing hands, which I'm going to cover next, I find these to be exceptional skills when it comes to interacting with other people and could almost be put with an interpersonal effectiveness skill if they hadn't labeled it as distress tolerance. But I kind of understand why they've put that in this module. The next skill that we had here is willing hands. And again, check out the show notes because this is very hard to explain just verbally. So there's three different ways that you can do willing hands, and I'm kind of going to explain some modifications that I do as well. So standing, you're going to drop your arms down from your shoulders, keeping them straight or slightly bent at the elbows. Keep your hands unclenched, turn your hands outward with thumbs out to your sides, palms up, and fingers relaxed. You can also do this while sitting. So place your hands on your lap or your thighs with hands unclenched, Turn your hands outward with palms up and fingers relaxed. Or you can do this lying down, arms by your side or on your stomach, hands unclenched, turn your palms up and have your fingers relaxed. And again, this is remembering that your hands communicate to your brain and your body connects to your mind. But at the same time, a lot or at least 80% of the communication that we have person to person is nonverbal. So I like to use both half smiling and willing hands as a form of nonverbal communication when I'm stressed. So like it was mentioned with standing, so similar to the half smiling skill that I often use in interpersonal interactions, I do willing hands a lot too. But sometimes it would be weird. Say I'm having a discussion with one of my bosses at work and I'm feeling anxious or tense or I'm not feeling heard and I just want to like interrupt and say what's on my mind. I'm not going to just stand there with my arms to my side and my palms out. That would look very, very odd. 
but I can modify it. And instead of just dropping my hands to my side, I can kind of put them in front of me, kind of like resting almost on my hip bones would be where like my elbow would be and almost kind of like put one hand on top of the other, but still have that open hand posture. And that allows me to practice the skill, but to do it in a way that's less odd looking to the person that I might be talking to. I do sitting willing hands really often too. It's very easy to do in a meeting, to be honest. It's kind of a casual thing that you can do. Or if you're not feeling fully comfortable doing this while sitting in a work environment or on the bus or something like that, if you have a desk that you can kind of put over yourself while you're getting comfortable with it and figuring out a natural posture for your hands, that's great. I honestly do sitting willing hands just about every day at work. I'm not going to lie. Some days, multiple times a day, depending on how the day or the week has been. And then laying down is pretty easy. I mean, if you're laying down, chances are you're not at work, you're not on a bus, you're not at Costco, you're not at the mall, unless something very terrible has happened, in which case, yeah, you're definitely going to need some distress tolerance if you fainted or something like that. And again, like I said, willing hands is one of those very easy skills to use, both as a distress tolerance mechanism to trick your brain, which is the whole purpose of these skills, but I also use these to communicate to others while I'm tricking myself that it's okay to communicate back to me and to appear less hostile so that while this interaction is happening, I'm not giving off nonverbal cues that I'm going to attack, (laughs) that I'm going to melt down, that I am already on guard with what the person is saying, that I'm not open to receiving what they're saying. And again, it's tricking yourself to also have those feelings that I'm okay to receive what the other person is trying to tell me. And then finally, the third skill that we did this week is called mindfulness of current thoughts. And it's a four-step process here. So first, you're going to observe your thoughts, kind of as waves coming and going don't suppress them. Try not to judge your thoughts. Just acknowledge that they're there. Try not to keep the thoughts around, just being able to release them. Not analyzing those thoughts, practicing willingness. Go back to DBT episode number seven to talk about the difference between willingness and willfulness. And stepping back and observing thoughts as they run in and out of your mind. The next step is to adopt a curious mind inside your head or out loud if that's what you need to do or even journal it ask where do my thoughts come from and kind of watch I'm putting this in air quotes here and see what the answer is notice that not every thought that comes also goes out of your mind some might linger observe but do not evaluate your thoughts let go of judgments just thoughts are thoughts don't judge yourself don't beat yourself up don't feel guilty about those thoughts. Step three is, remember, you're not your thoughts. Do not necessarily act on your thoughts. (laughs) Pull an e-break if you need to, people. (laughs) Remember times when you've had very different thoughts, thoughts that are the complete opposite of what you're thinking now. Maybe extremely happy thoughts, joyful thoughts, funny thoughts. Remind yourself that catastrophic thinking is being an emotion mind, not wise mind. 
remember how you think when you're not feeling such intense suffering and pain or just sadness even, but I guess that could count as suffering. And four, don't block or suppress your thoughts. Ask yourself, what sensations are these thoughts trying to avoid? Turn your mind to the sensation, then come back to the thought and try and repeat it a few times. Step back. Allow your thoughts to come and go as you observe your breath. Play with your thoughts. Repeat them out loud or write them down and over as fast as you can. Maybe sing them. Imagine the thoughts as words of a clown, as recordings getting all tangled up, as a cute animal you can cuddle up to, as bright colors running through your mind as only sounds. That's kind of hokey, I'm not going to lie. Not a big fan of that one. Or just try loving your thoughts. Kind of do the opposite of what you would normally do. It's kind of hard to do mindfulness of current thoughts. You have to work really hard. Um, especially not blocking or suppressing the thoughts. That's, in my opinion, extremely critical. Because the longer we block or suppress thoughts, emotions, feelings that we deem to be unpleasant, the more likely that those are going to erupt later and honestly cause a, in air quotes and hyperbole, catastrophic event. That's when we blow up. That's when we have that intense angry outburst, when we might punch a hole in the wall, when we might throw something, lash out at our family, friends, or romantic partners, or have a full-on temper tantrum in the middle of the kitchen floor, crying, rocking, holding yourself, and quite literally being in a state of hysterics. And this hurts at first. This is one of those skills that, that sucks. It's one of those skills that you don't want to do because for the short term, you have to sit in a little bit of sadness and a little bit of discomfort until you get good at letting those feelings just kind of roll off of you. But I want you to think about short-term pain, if you will, for long-term gain. You're less likely to have an eruption or do something that you're going to regret in this moment of just kind of thinking through things than you are if you let each one of these small moments of pain, of suffering, these unpleasant thoughts just keep building up and building up and building up to a point that you've damaged a relationship or God forbid hurt yourself in a way that's going to be extremely difficult or even impossible to repair. Don't get me wrong. I know that distress tolerance is really hard. This is an extremely hard um, module to work through. But I want you to remember that you don't have to do this all at once. Work on each skill at a time and only work on them when you feel that you're able to. Kind of like radical acceptance, kind of like those chain analyses. Don't try and tackle them with my color reference here. When you are kind of in a, I'm going to call it orange, so between that yellow and red, and do not do this when you are in a red. If you are in the red, immediately go to like a tip skill or a stop skill work on bringing yourself down, doing some self-soothing. And then if you're feeling okay, then try and do this mindfulness of current thoughts. Don't try and do it if you cannot be in a wise mind state or cannot get yourself to a wise mind state. These skills aren't going to be effective <laughs> at that point. It's not building up that 
resiliency. Your, your mind is like a muscle. You have to continually work it. You have to continually expose it a little bit at a time. If I'm going to the gym, I am not going to go to the squat rack and rack up 300 pounds and think that I'm going to be able to properly do that squat without seriously injuring myself to a point that I'm going to regret it. So think about that with your mind. A lot of us have experienced trauma. Most of us have probably experienced trauma here. We know what that can do to our brain. And as you're trying to heal your brain, you don't want to rattle it anymore. The whole point here is to build up resiliency, to help us learn to manage and master our thoughts and our emotions. We don't want to risk getting to a point that we can't return from. But I also want to let you know that there's no such thing as perfection when it comes to that management with that resiliency. I don't want you to feel like you're getting to this point of being so on track and you've had weeks or even months of doing well with your management and then kind of have a bit of a setback. That's part of life. Life comes in waves like tides out and in and out and in. And that's part of this whole radical acceptance. You kind of have to radically accept that no one's going to be perfect in these skills, even people that aren't neurodivergent. And that's the other thing. Like these are skills that everyone can use. I've had some conversations with some of my bosses at work where I try and explain half smiling and willing hands when they start feeling tense because I truly think that a lot of these distress tolerance skills and definitely mindfulness skills are things that everyone should be implementing in their life because I think it will radically change your life. And like Marsha Linenhan, the woman who invented DBT says, like really give you that life worth living. So that is what we have, or I have to share for DBT minisode number eight. Check out the show notes. I'll have those video links down below. I'll also include the handouts for this module so that If what I said may have been too quick or may not have made full sense to you, you have access to these sheets as well. Before I sign off, I just want to remind everyone, if you're interested, we, I, I need to stop saying we, I have put out a subscription service that you can subscribe to um, for the podcast. It's $4.99 Canadian, I think, per month that gets you some additional content. Uh, You can also put in requests on what you want to hear. I'm also working on some other stuff that I'm really excited to bring to everyone here who listens. There's going to be kind of like a a participation or comments that I would really appreciate you taking the time to fill out on this episode because I want to be able to deliver content that you guys truly find valuable. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I love sharing my story and things that work for me. But sometimes I might not think about something that would be helping a good chunk of you. And having that feedback would really help me out when it comes to developing content. So with that, I'm going to say, I hope you have a great day. I hope that you find something helpful that you can implement into your day-to-day life from this little mini-zone. And if you're having a hard time, like always, you're probably doing better than you think you are. Try not to beat yourself up, get yourself down, try and turn your mind to some more positive self-talk. And until the regular episode coming out next week, 
give yourself a great, a little bit of grace. Have a great day, guys.